Welcome spooks and spirits, ghouls and ghosts. Take a seat around the campfire. But beware, this podcast is haunted. Hmm. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh... All right, so it is a sunny sun. Nope, it's not. It's it is the opposite of rainy that. As hell. Uh, it is rainy. I I hope. Well, I don't know if you all hear some some pitter patters in the background. Just know that it is some natural atmosphere that yeah. we're adding in. Uh, it is amazing that I am awake right now because whenever it like lightly rains like this, I basically coma out. Mm, yeah. Dan and why wouldn't sh- you? It's a it's a sleepy Sunday. It's perfect. Yeah, it's I. You know but what? I made you record. I lived like a house cat all day yesterday. I got petted. Mm. I ate food. I took naps. Mm. I laid in the sun, and then Wonderful. I also added whiskey, which house cats can't do. But right, I had but like, a lovely cat time. Catnip, maybe just like substitute, so, like substances. absolutely. Yeah, this is. Yes. I was living my very best life yesterday. That's very good. I was picking out my future uh, housewife uh, robe to <laughs> lounge around the house in. Uh, so that that's a very good feeling. Um, Peak quarantine. Will, yeah, just put an order in for that today, maybe. <laughs> well, so perfect. we're just fully embracing home life, um, which is good. I think that's a good state for us. Should we just get right into it? So I want to say right up front, I'm so excited that we're finally doing this subject. I have been pushing for it for four years. Uh, Have you? I mean, gently. I was like, what about circuses? Could we do circuses? Circuses are on my list. How about circuses? (laughs) Yeah, I guess I was just like not really into it. And then I started... Okay, I've I've never been a circus person. Like, I, I don't really enjoy going to circuses. But yeah, I, I started looking into it and actually, it's really fucking fascinating. And circuses really are so cool. And if you don't like them for political reasons, I kind of get it uh, for, for yeah. like animal rights issues. But circuses themselves, if you like, if you look at the history of circuses, if you like musical theater, which we all do, mm-hmm. uh, then mm-hmm. you probably like stage shows generally, like you would like vaudeville, right? And what is vaudeville, but like a circus that's inside that's yeah. That's so, all. I mean, I I still don't personally like circuses for reasons that I will that I think will become very apparent when okay. I'm telling my story, but the history of it is very interesting. Super interesting. So, um I am that. pro circus actually, uh, especially okay. human circuses like Cirque du Soleil. I think mm. the performers are so cool and they think of things that uh we're not going to think of. I love magicians. Uh don't like I how do I say this? Um, don't ever tell me how you do a magic trick. I want to see the magic oh. trick and I want to be amazed. I want to believe in magic. Leave me alone. I want to know how it's done. No, see, pfft, spoils it. <laughs> just let me but have I'm just like, curious. yeah, I'm curious too. I'm going to try and imagine it. And my imaginings include fucking magic. No. Oh, okay. I, I mean, that's fun. It is. I believe <laughs> that the world should be a little more beautiful and magical and sparkly and spangly. And that's why I like circuses. That's good. That's yeah. good. I yeah. mean, I appreciate the the human ability to like do all these stunts and stuff. I think that's really cool. I I have enjoyed a Cirque du Soleil. I, I think the crowd work idea is just appalling to my... <laughs> 
<laughs> my sense of don't touch me or talk to me if I don't sure. want you to. Um, <laughs> but the, the stunts are really sweet. I, I also, in that. high school, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that when I was in marching band in high school, we did Cirque du Soleil one year. So, What do you mean? Like the theme of our marching band. Oh, I don't know if you know this, but like high school marching band competition world. Are you familiar with this? I mean, vaguely, world? but I don't see like, so you just played the music from Cirque du Soleil? Yeah. So like marching bands like compete against each other. We don't just fucking play at halftime shows. Um, and so you have like a show that you're doing and so it has a theme and you pick music from that theme and then you do like design the entire show around it. So like we did Cirque du Soleil. So we, we picked music from, you know, Cirque du Soleil and then like me being in the color guard dressed in this ridiculous looking purple unitard that was skin tight. <laughs> everywhere <laughs> and it was like painted with all these crazy designs and and we wore wigs and painted our faces and then we just like acted a fool out on the field and it was really fun it was my favorite show <laughs> that sounds cool did you guys have like gymnasts yes. and stuff like doing tricks or uh well mm, <laughs> we had some people who were a little more talented than me uh doing some pseudo stunts uh and then we had like you know the hamster wheel thing that they have in Cirque du Soleil yeah where like one person stands like you know the Vitruvian man is that what it's called yeah Leonardo yeah, Vinci. yeah. Uh -huh. and they like stood in the wheel and like people like wheeled them around the, the field <laughs> that's kind of fun okay yeah, yeah that was I... basically the extent of it we were in high school <laughs> Sure. No, I uh, I can appreciate that. Uh, I think that actually sounds really fun. And I bet you it that was. was hugely enjoyable. It was. Anyway, I, I know Laura would be like screaming at me to mention it because she was also in it that oh. year. So just fun. wanted to put that out there. Siblings. Siblings in sports. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> ah, so let's talk about circuses, huh? Yes. Sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. I got too excited. Yes. I love circuses. Okay. Yes. And they're okay, spooky, so you and you guys are going to fucking love this episode. Yeah, there's so much going on. I'm starting, right? <laughs> I just uh, already forgot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. So uh, I'm going to start out telling you a little bit about the history of circuses, um, but I want to mention my sources up top like I do. I'm actually really, really proud of my sources this week. I found an amazing article that's really like a review of a PBS documentary and the, the documentary is called The Circus. Didn't see it, but I read the article. That counts. <laughs> and it was, it was published in the National Endowment for the Humanities website. So this is fucking legit. Um, it's called The American Circus in All Its Glory and it's written by Joseph Bottom and Justin L. Blessinger. <laughs> And, and we're just supposed to let that go and like not be children about that the ride. fact. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Very good. Yep. It's, yep. it's, it's no, technically, no. technically spelled B-O-T-T-U-M. So, but I don't know if that's yeah. better, actually. <laughs> I don't know if it is better. It's um, fine. It's fine. It's fine. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Joseph. You deserve better than us. <laughs> yeah. My next uh, source is an article that was posted in AmericanHauntingsInc.com. Fun. And it is called Death Under the Big Top, A Haunted History of the Hartford Circus Fire. That's right. Spoiler alert. We're going to get into that. Um, and it's from a book that is called And Hell Followed With It by Troy Taylor and Ren... Rene... It's not spelled like Renee, but I don't know. Cruz. What? How does so it spell? So here we go. R-E-N-E. -E. Oh, yeah. That's how you spell Renee. Yeah, but usually there's like two E's and an X on the U. On the because that it. would be for a female as opposed to a male. Renee is a D. Oh, 
It's the French. That's... Do you remember okay. season one of True Blood, Renee? The bad no, guy? No, I don't. Have you I seen season one of True Blood? No. Jeff, this is my quarantine <laughs> gift to you. You're going to watch True Blood oh. and you're going to fucking love it. <laughs> uh, we'll see about that. Watch the first four seasons. Let everything else go. Okay. Anyway, you were saying. Anyway. Okay, so I wanted to know where circuses came from. Let me tell you. They came from Europe. <laughs> this is... So there uh, there was like... So you think of like Roman circus, like bread and circuses. Yes. Right? From ancient Rome. That's like kind of related, but it's not like the circuses that we think of today. That no. took like a long, long time to develop. Um, so in the 18th century, there were like large stadiums that were designed to teach like horsemanship. Like they would have like a ring because um, it's like the easiest way to get a horse to like run around at a consistent like, you know, speed and it has like centrifugal force and it's like good for showing off riding. So you sure. can show. Yeah. So they would have like a large ring and they'd have someone riding a horse around it and then they'd show off like different like techniques and that kind of thing. Then they started introducing stadiums with three rings so that they could show even more people, you know, different horses. Like they'd have a horse in each ring and blah, blah, blah. They do, you know, their kind of show. But teaching just straight up horsemanship is not like the most lucrative thing you can do. So they would supplement um, that by putting on shows uh, for entertainment. And so then they would start doing more stunts and they'd like get other things involved, other people doing like human stunts or whatever, like animal tricks. And that became a lot more lucrative. And suddenly people were like, hey, maybe we should make this a thing. Um, so British equestrian Philip Astley, I don't know if he's related to Rick, um, is... <laughs> <laughs> he is credited as the father of the modern circus. Um, and this was in like the late 1700s, but it moved on. He was also active in the early 1800s. He's mentioned in Jane Austen's novel, Emma, apparently. I have not read that book, so I just sure. read it, but I don't remember them talking about circuses at all. Do, is there, I think there was like a mention from what I read. It was like mentioned like, oh, they went to Astley's thing. <laughs> oh or something yeah which yeah, like yeah. probably most people would be like sure what the heck is that yeah but this is what it was it doesn't really offer any context as i recall you're no. just like oh okay no, just because... like somebody's house cool yeah jane austen is like you know him <laughs> it's Everybody philip astley <laughs> Uh, yeah, apparently he was just so well known at that time that she could just put that in a throwaway line and everyone would be like, sure, 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 sure. Um, so now you know. Um, so he had an employee, Charles Hughes, who started a rival circus. And then Hughes had an employee named John Bill Ricketts who brought circuses to Philadelphia in the 1790s. And that's how they came to America. That's so cool. Yeah. It seems so basic. You think that they would have like developed independently and, you know, just every community would have had these like stock performers, but I guess that's just not the case. <laughs> well, I think when you think about it, like, um, and I know you're going to get into this, but like, I think everyone had their own form of like stadium entertainment or plays or shows or whatever. But, you know, the idea of the, everyone has such a specific idea of what a circus is that, you know, you have... That has to trace back to somewhere. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. So there's like specific ideas that started being repeated of like 
this is what a circus is and this is these are the elements and the kinds of performers that you need to have a circus, which I find interesting. Yeah, so that traveled to uh, Philadelphia and then around that time was when America was, you know, exploding west uh, <laughs> through various means, <laughs> various and nefarious means. And so everyone was traveling out west. We had wagon trails and eventually trains connected the entire country. And that really fueled the idea of the traveling circus because performers realized that they could make more money if they traveled to a town, set up for a few days and was a limited you know, run show, and then they just pack up and move to the next town. And so that's where it really, you know, grew into its own. And like people started, you know, putting together their own wagon train that was specifically owned by the company. And then eventually you have like the mile long train that was owned by Barnum and Bailey. And, you know, then they, you know, used the big canvas tents because they traveled easily and packed up quickly. And that's where you get big top tents and company owned trains. So, and that is uh, basically where we got the the heyday of the American circus. Do we have an era that we consider the heyday of the American circus? That is a good question. I would say probably the latter half of the 19th century through the first half of the 20th century. So like 1850 to 1950, I would probably agree with that, that those hundred years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and obviously like things changed a lot over that time period, but like that's kind of, you know, roughly the time period we're talking about. Absolutely. So most of you are familiar with P.T. Barnum. You know him. Everyone knows him. There's a movie about him that I kind refuse of. to watch for various <laughs> reasons. What are those various reasons? Okay, so first of all, I I don't know. I'm not like intimately acquainted with, with the life of P.T. Barnum, but what I do know is that he was kind of a dick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I believe there's a pretty good episode of The Dollop about him. Um, I think I have listened to it, and it's like, he's fucking wild, and I just don't really support the idea of a whole movie just, like, making him look like some swell guy. <laughs> and I'm just like, no, no, I'm I good. think that's fair. Uh, the movie itself, I definitely hold separate from the life of P.T. Barnum, but I knew going into okay. this that P.T. Barnum was a monster. Uh, yeah, yeah. P.T. Barnum I is... Think- He's a bad guy, but the music is good and the performances are great and you are missing out on a really good movie musical. So I think you're wrong there. Eh. I just feel like on the whole, it has a very loose hold on reality and accuracy. And I just don't, I just don't support that. Oh, Um, so you're never going to watch Wicked or? Wicked is a completely made up fantasy. It's not like based on a true story. This is, this is, I don't think they ever claim that this is based on a true story. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, as long as people know that, I just feel like people are watching that movie and being like, oh my God, P.T. Barnum, he like accepted all of the like weirdos in the world and made no, a family. He, and like they regularly are like, dude, you're being a dick. Okay, good. I. Because he was a dick. You're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong. And it bothers me. <laughs> All right. Um, you, you've passed judgment without even <laughs> seeing it nor listening to it. Uh, and Jennifer, for that, you shall stand in your wrongness. Be judged as wrong. <laughs> you are missing out on a good show. Uh, 
All right. But anyway, um, we are in agreement anyway. that the real historical character of P.T. Barnum was straight trash. Yeah. He was like, kind of a monster. Like, yeah. he would take it. Yeah, he would take in all these people who were laughed at by society. And he would just, like, set them up to be professionally laughed at by society and make money off of them. Yes. Um, and so, and, but, like, you can't deny, I guess, that he was, like, a really good capitalist. Um, he was really good at putting together, you know, a great show for people and... Uh, taking advantage of people in the most lucrative way. Yeah. So he had a main rival at first called, uh, whose name uh, Adam Forepaw. I doubt anyone's heard of him because he wasn't as good at doing that, the same kind of thing. Um, sure. So he kind of just went off into obscurity. But then he also had another rival, James Anthony Bailey, who he, some of you might be like, wait a minute. Um, wait he a was, minute? <laughs> wait a second. He was publicly Barnum's rival for years. Uh, but they were secretly partners. So this is, I think, tells you a little bit about Barnum, that he was willing to kind of like put on this act for society, be like, oh my God, we're such rivals, but really like they were working together behind the scenes. Sure. Uh, in true capitalist form uh, to just really like milk their rivalry for all it was worth. But eventually they did fully partner up and Barnum like left his, you know, circus to Bailey and it became Barnum and Bailey's. And then Bailey died in 1906, and then the business was acquired by the Ringling Brothers. Yay! The Ringling Brothers. Yeah. Uh, I have to explain, just for a second, that I love the Ringling Brothers because they are a Wisconsin brand. Uh, yes. And so they have my lifelong devotion. Mm, good old anyway, Midwest. Go ahead. Yeah. So it became the Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus, which is a fucking mouthful. <laughs> But well worth it. It's a, a name as long as their train. Um, and, and they lasted until 2017 when they were finally done in by low ticket sales. So this is, okay, we've discussed, well, we've briefly touched on or alluded to my feelings about circuses. And I just really wanted to know, like, what is the appeal of circuses? What makes them what they are? What is, like, what was that secret sauce that Barnum discovered? Because when you think about circuses, they are just like a really weird concept. It's just, it's family friendly, but it's also like has this element of the creepy and it's just, I don't know. So I, I found this, you know, this is from the article, The American Circus in All Its Glory, and it had this just really, really good explanation of what was like so unique and special about circuses that I'm just gonna straight up read it to you because it's written so well that I was trying to paraphrase it and I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna quote it. So. Yeah, why reinvent the wheel? <laughs> yeah, so this is a direct quote. Um, uh, they say, the circus was always a bifurcated place, family entertainment seasoned with a smidgen of the forbidden and the Abherent. There is a vicarious suggestion of impending disaster with the flying Walendas building human pyramids in the air, a titillating hint of the flesh with women in tights parading in the center ring and peep shows tucked away in the corner of the fairway. A touch of the grotesque, a splash of the garish, a hint of the criminal. Part of P.T. Barnum's genius was to sand off some of the rougher edges, seeking to improve the reputation of circuses. He promoted his menageries and grotesqueries as educational opportunities. He lined up ministers to praise the circus as wholesome entertainment rather than immoral indulgence and idleness. He advertised his hiring of Pinkerton detectives to assure circus goers that they would not be pickpocketed. 
But the other part of P.T. Barnum's genius was not to sand off too much. He still made a fortune from the dwarfism of Tom Thumb. He still had bearded ladies and conjoined twins. He kept the danger of trapeze artists working without a net and animal tamers with wild beasts. Through all of his innovations, he preserved something of the strangeness of the circus, something of the alien and the exotic. So like that really touches on how like it is like that's what's successful about circuses is that it was advertised as like family fun and like people would go on a Sunday afternoon and, and like it was a family outing. But there was always this element of like risque like and danger and wild animals and part of the draw of it was that they were dangerous and you'll see exactly how much later on but uh like i thought that was a really interesting way that to describe is it actually interesting and the the big word that i have for when i'm talking about circuses is dissonance i have it all over all my pages here uh mm. and and that's exactly what you're describing is this um you know mm -hmm. these this yin yang experience of being a little bit seedy but also very wholesome and you know, dangerous, uh, but also very safe. And, and these are seasoned professionals. Um, and I mm -hmm. think that is a very valid criticism, but also a really good sales point. Like, maybe yeah. that's one of the things that I like about it so much is like these these things could go wrong you know we've we've got somebody in there with a tiger and all they have is a chair um mm -hmm. you know will will this behave these and there's no gate between us and them and right um, yeah, I mean that, I, we still love that like we still see you know shows where they do amazing stunts and like the idea is that like one wrong move and they could die exactly like, that's that's like so much of the idea behind a lot of like sports and shows and just you know tiger king and <laughs> right no absolutely i you know i think it's um i i these kind of stories that and, and actions that we're interested in watching are why humans were in the gladiator pits too you know like why mm -hmm. did the coliseum fill up on the weekends to watch these people well the weekends there was no weekend back then they just happened all what the time. is a weekend right <laughs> oh thank you dowager countess um yeah so i i I can appreciate why that makes you uncomfortable, but I can also appreciate why it makes people like me be like, yes, yes, take well, me to okay. that. To be sure, like I, I enjoy it uh, to a certain extent. And I like, as we get on later, I'll explain exactly kind of like where that enjoyment ends for me. But like, I, I am with you there. Like I, I, I do love seeing people do amazing tricks and things. Um, I just, when they start, you know, being in unsafe environments, <laughs> <laughs> is it That's too much anxiety kind of like, well it's a little bit of that but it's also just like i don't enjoy the idea of exploiting people um so mm. like the all the ideas of the sideshows and like i know that there was like this really like barnum put people on display and i know that like to a certain extent that was probably the best life that they could have. Mm -hmm. But also it was the entire thing was getting people to pay to gawk at them. And that's right. what I start getting very uncomfortable with. I can't, so I know very few of you have like seen my body, uh, but <laughs> if we had been living in, if we were magically in the 1920s or mm -hmm. the 1890s, uh, my best life probably would have been as like the world's largest woman in a in a sideshow. So uh, I'm going to reference a Game of Thrones quote, uh, wear what you are like armor and then no one can hurt you with it. 
Right. Yeah. I, I think there's something to that. And I, I, I can also appreciate how, you know, Jen, you want society to be better. Uh, <laughs> same. <laughs> but I'll tell you that, I'll tell you for free, when I go out into the world, grocery shopping or whatever, I'm still getting mm-hmm. gawked at, but I'm not making profit yeah. on it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I was like, well, you might as well. Right. I may as well. You're fine. Now you owe me a penny, <laughs> motherfuckers. <laughs> right. I guess like my issue was like Barnum would be making more money off of you. Oh, than... oh yes. Yeah. Oh, for sure. That's so, a problem. Yeah. He yeah. would have so to go. That's, like, I think, I think I'd be, I don't know. It's just, yeah, that's, it is a horrible part of society that like people love to gawk at like the people unusual. that they deem to be strange and unusual. Yeah. And like, I guess, yeah, if, as long as you're making money off of it, like, get, chase that bread. Like, get it. But I, That's I right. also don't bread want, is the like, secret. <laughs> <laughs> I also just, like, don't want someone else to be making money off of it. I love too. that about you. That's why we're friends. <laughs> like, we're, like, yeah. real-life friends because you're going to make the world a better place. I hope so. I'm just going to try to yell at them until they are better. That's my I, You're going to yell them better. Like, and I believe that you could and that you should. And you're the only one who should even be trying. My problem is that I just like I have no patience for like calmly explaining to people why they should be empathetic. I'm just like, <laughs> be better. Just do it. No, just I just do it. You fucking assholes. So I I do want to point out something that surprises me about what you've been saying, like your your light criticism so far. Uh, uh-huh. You haven't said shit about clowns. Oh my god, that's me. I just mm. <laughs> I've just been saving it. <laughs> Normally, it's I people when I come across people who don't like circuses, their yeah. number one thing is, no, nah, man, I can't do clowns. I can't do clowns. I can't I, do it. I, I'm going to tell you something. I can't do clowns. And and this, I think, like, we've discussed this a little bit before as we were preparing for this. But, mm-hmm. like, I, my entire life, I have deeply, deeply distrusted anyone in a costume that I can't see. I feel the exact same way. I think we've touched on this on the show before. Uh, mm-hmm. I am I am uncomfortable with clowns. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am more, significantly more uncomfortable with people who are like in mascot costumes. So like, yes. so Bernie the Brewer in Milwaukee is, uh, he's got a large foam head and kind of like a, a human body. And, you know, he's part of the, uh, he's part of the scene at a Brewer game and, and he's fantastic. Yeah. He's got a slide. Every time we get a Homer, he goes down the slide. It's great. Um, mm-hmm. I like Bernie the Brewer over there, like away yeah. from me, the closer yeah. they get to me, the more likely I feel like my anxiety just triples and I feel like mm-hmm. I have to throat punch somebody. I totally understand you. I want to say the one, and I, I need to ask you your opinion on this, Gritty. Um, what is so your I've, opinion on Gritty? I've never been in the same room as Gritty, so Gritty's fine with me. Yeah, I, okay. So I've never been in the same room as Gritty either. I just follow Gritty on, on Twitter, and I got to say, I would die for Gritty. Okay. <laughs> uh, Gritty's the only thing that can keep us together as a nation. Like this, is, I'm convinced of this. Gritty will unite us all. God bless Gritty. In Gritty and I'm we not stand. Kidding. I, no. you know what? I, I, I enjoy him as a a cultural touchstone of the time. Uh, yeah. If he ever comes near me, though, like physically near my human actual body, I'm gonna have to throat punch him mm. and kick him in the dick. Like I can't. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. So my whole thing, and it sounds like this is your whole thing too, is we want to. We know that there's a human under there, and we want to be able to pick that person out of a lineup. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I just like, even as a little kid, I didn't understand how these other fucking idiots could possibly think that was the real Elmo. Like what, 
Like you see Elmo as a cartoon on your screen. What makes you think that six foot tall, large furry thing is the real fucking Elmo? I knew it was someone in a costume and I knew that I couldn't see them and I didn't trust them. Yeah, I I think that's fair. Um, I will say though that uh, the people who are clowns and, and it is like... I don't know. I always feel bad for kind of distrusting clowns because I know that people <laughs> who are clowns tend to not be monsters. Like they just want to make the yeah. world laugh. And there are so many like really good hearted and like, okay, I, 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 to be fair, I feel the same way about mall Santas. And I know that there's like a whole society of mall Santas that are just like really beautiful humans who just want to make children happy. Yeah, and, and like I, give some faith. And, yeah. Yeah. And the same thing is true with clowns. And there's like clown schools and stuff. And it's like a really big thing. And I really respect that. But also, I still don't trust it. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about why you probably don't trust it. Some of the reasons that we don't trust it can be laid right at the feet of Stephen King. <laughs> Fucking, here we are again, Stephen King. <laughs> Stephen King, we love you, but man, you really messed clowns up, and uh, it's not very cool to the clowns who are still trying to make a living these days. Mm. Um, so Stephen King popularized the story of Pennywise the Clown, who was an evil demon sent to prey upon everybody's worst fears. And uh, it was such a very popular story, and then a popular movie brought to life by the great Tim Curry, mm. that... People are now more familiar with the concept of an evil clown than the concept of a good clown, it feels like. But I have to ask you, like, how did Stephen King just, like, land on clowns? Because he didn't invent this. Right. No. Uh, I think that, and mind you, I have not, I'm I'm spitballing here based on time periods. We haven't asked him. (laughs) Right. I wasn't like, dear Stephen, it's your friend Kate Reed. Uh, yeah. No, so I'm pretty sure that he was inspired by the story of John Wayne Gacy. So, oh. John, yeah, oh. well, I, I don't need to tell you guys this. We all know who John Wayne Gacy is. But for the uninitiated, uh, John Wayne Gacy was a prolific serial killer who was operating in Illinois uh, and kind of the Midwest generally, I think, but mostly Illinois. It was definitely Illinois um, and is the subject of one of the best and greatest Sufjan Stevens songs of all time. Shut up. What are you talking you, about? You don't know about this? Okay, so you I'm going to out Stevens? myself. Yeah, I've seen Steve, Sufjan Stevens in concert, um, but I Amazing, don't like... Right? Yeah, he's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, his music isn't really in my sing-along range, and so I don't listen to a lot uh, of him. Because I have to be able to like sing along. like the original soft boy indie, indie yeah. musician. And he's from <laughs> Holland, like, right? Like, he's local. He's from, he's from Michigan. He went to college at Hope College. So like a little bit, I have to hate him. But um, he, because Hope is Calvin's main rival, obviously. You don't know about the legendary school rivalry of Hope and Calvin. Um, Isn't Calvin just Hope without money? Oh, fuck you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. That was a low blow. Uh, I I really did not think about you guys as being rivals. I would have thought you would have been like nice to each other because you're all weirdly religious together. No, no, there's a... Well, that's true. But was, we have to find someone who, like, knows about us and Hope does. Um, so, <laughs> so, yeah, there's a there's a big rivalry. I have a T-shirt somewhere that says Beat Hope, which I really like out of context. Um, 
so anyway, he went to Hope, and then he like he's he's just a terrific musician, and he had this idea very early on in his career to like write an album about every state in the con in the U.S. And so he made one about Michigan, which is very good. Um, and then he made one about Illinois, and then he stopped. <laughs> so. <laughs> Because Illinois will suck all the life out of you. I understand. Yeah, he was. He got to Illinois, and then he was like, actually, maybe I'm done. Um, so he wrote like a very good song about Chicago that is um, probably most people, if they know any song by Sufjan Stevens, they know Chicago. Um, the instrumental version is like in a movie. I forget which one. Cool. Um, but also on that album, he wrote a song about John Wayne Casey. And it's like the most like calm indie song ever but he's just like singing about like this man this guy who murdered murdered, like 27 kids yeah but like he sings it from like he sings it as like a um kind of an allegory of like original sin of like yeah he did all this terrible stuff but like we all sin I'm just like oh my god it's it's legit a great song and we talked about it in our uh Calvin orientation because of course we did. <laughs> Guys, we're gonna have a link to that in our show notes, I guess, uh, yeah. so that I can listen Check to it. Out. What the it's a great, great song. All right, well, getting us back on Continue. track. Yeah. Uh, so John Wayne Gacy was a performing clown. Uh, he was also mm-hmm. a politician, which I think says a lot more about him than being a clown. I I um, think so too. <laughs> uh, so he uh, he did he murdered uh, many children, uh, mm-hmm. ages I think eleven to sixteen. Um, and yeah. he was. A boys, monster. He right? was a legitimate like monster. All boys. All boys. Yeah. Uh, I I believe he molested them as well. Uh, yeah. So he uh, was finally put to death in 1994. I remember that. Um, and he was the clown mm-hmm. killer. And so uh, that idea that that's something that should have been that dissonance. The word of the day is dissonance. Mm. That's something that should be friendly and joyful and funny, turning into something so dark and nefarious and openly evil uh, is kind of where Stephen King, I assume, got the idea for Pennywise. Right, because it was published like right after he was caught or something, wasn't it? Or like, right. Yes. Um, I believe he was caught. Gosh, let me flip through my notes really quick. Um, so Gacy operated between 1972 and 1978. He sexually assaulted and killed more than 35 young men in the Chicago area. Uh, he even told the cops who arrested him, uh, you know, clowns can get away with murder. Um, but oh, Gacy didn't get away with God. it. He was found guilty on 33 counts of murder and was executed in 1994. Uh, that quote comes directly from the history and psychology of clowns being scary by Linda hmm. Rodriguez McRobbie. And that is from Smithsonian Magazine. Uh, smithsonianmag.com look at us I know we're real professionals today Uh, (laughs) so uh, Gacy changed the face of clowns and then Stephen King made it so popular and omnipresent that it's hard for real clowns who are like genuinely good people uh, by and large to to get work that isn't you know bound up in Mm. people screaming yeah, yeah. And do you want to know uh, a fun fact about John Wayne Gacy when he was in jail? It's not so fun. It's kind of horrifying. Like, um, sure. so much like our pal Hitler. Um, <laughs> John oh Wayne God, Gacy liked that's to quite paint. the that's quite the segue. I'm sorry. It what is. did you just say? Uh, John Wayne Gacy liked to paint, and when he was in jail, he made all these paintings of clowns. I think, and people who shouldn't. 
I just, I don't understand this part of society. I am a huge fan of true crime. I don't understand people like getting tokens from <gasps> serial killers. Did people but there were buy people John who... Wayne ba- John Wayne Gacy's paintings? Yes. Oh my so god. Much, so much so that he started a like a workshop of John Wayne Gacy painters. So there's a lot of paintings out there that people think were painted by John Wayne Gacy, but were painted by someone that he was like instructing in the prison. I like wish you Rembrandt could see my face right now. <laughs> yeah. That is Foul. Disgusting. Yeah. What? Yeah. See, man. Ugh. This Just is why I need to be yell nice people. people better. Just be better, people. Yes. Don't yes. do this thing. Yes. I completely. Welcome agree. to my new show. Stop <laughs> sucking. <laughs> We're gonna yell you better with Kate and Jen. Yeah, uh, we can't all right. Take so that. That's so someone else's IP. <laughs> oh. Oh yeah, that does exist, doesn't it? Haha. <laughs> yeah, there is a show called Yell You Better. Yeah, take ours. take that it's out too. Idea. Jesus. Yeah, All right, so so that's why people get upset about clowns. Um, I think that we as a society need to like step up against it and be like, you know what? Clowns are not mm. scary. Let's just enjoy mm-hmm. things. Somebody make me a balloon animal. I love balloon art because of course I do. I'm a toddler with a podcast. <laughs> Yes, yes. All right, so that's what I have about chlorophobia. Um, There are actually a couple other things. uh, You can actually find uh, this idea of the scary or sad uh, clown going all the way back to the Middle Ages. Um, And and one of the ideas, one of the most famous clowns uh, was somebody who, like, dealt with, like, crippling depression and his son was an alcoholic and he was still Mm. the most famous clown in the world. Uh, There's a song called The Tears of the Clown that kind of, again, talk about that dissonance. You know, somebody, Mm -hmm. uh, when we look at say robin williams somebody who was so desperate to make other people laugh and feel joy because it's something that they couldn't necessarily access themselves Mm -hmm. um so i respect clowns i respect clowning i i will still be a little uncomfortable when they're physically near me um Mm -hmm. but i don't know i just think we as a society need to be better about people who want to make people happy that's well okay there is also a deeper history of clowns being distrustful like you know i mean the idea that we i mean where did we get the idea of people dressing that way like that's what i was also wondering when i was looking into the history of circuses is like where did we get the aesthetic of clowns so that goes all the way back to the renaissance that is part of commedia dell'arte uh Mm -hmm. which was an italian circus really um you wouldn't recognize it as the circus that we know today but it is a type of circus um so wearing this like very exaggerated face paint Um, created Mm -hmm. archetypes of characters that they could take from town to town and be pretty instantly understood. Um, Mm -hmm. So so that uh, that extreme face paint, uh, sometimes all white with the black spots, uh, it just kind of established somebody as part of a carnival character, and it became the shorthand for being a clown worldwide. Right, but like some of those characters in those original Italian plays... Like, they were untrustworthy characters. Right. So, you know, there was kind of like that kind of running below the surface of like, here's this person who paints their face and you don't know exactly who they are and they're playing tricks on you. Yes. And that was like baked in to the English tradition. Um, and like, it was it was an Englishman who originated the, the like what we think of as the modern clown because i guess circuses are english in in origin which is funny but yeah that it like yeah turned from this like italian like trickster harlequin to like the english like guy i don't have his name written down but 
And then that uh, was front. It's Grimaldi? so. Yeah, it was something like that. The 1892 Italian opera Pagliacci, Pagliacci, with the cuckolded main mm-hmm. character, the actor of the Grimaldian clown mold. Yeah. Uh, clowns were unsettling yeah, yeah. and a great source for drama. That's again from the article I referenced before. Um, yeah, yeah, they and and you know what? If you go even farther back than that, you can talk about the uh, court jesters being able to laugh at the king mm-hmm. and poke fun at the king, uh, and what a source of like power, but power of the other it, it was kind of its own sideshow act um often they yeah. were people who had deformities sometimes uh so yeah it's uh it's a whole thing this uh it is trying to take your anxieties and uh capitalize on them for a laugh not unlike you know humor like the office does today right yeah just your <sighs> anxieties were different back then <laughs> man <laughs> yeah yeah, so, I think for that, it was like a lot of like the anxiety over like class divides. Yes. And so here's a guy who's like, I want to say whatever I fucking want. Right. And they were like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of us would have been murdered. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I think this is all to say that like the history of clowns has always been like one of like, no one's quite sure what who this person is or what they're doing because they've always kind of been agents of chaos and mischief and like... They but I think also are fun, but they're also like untrustworthy. And that's kind of like always there and yes. always has been there. Absolutely. But I think the the explosion from oh like this person is gonna squirt you in the face with a, a fake flower uh mm-hmm. versus full blown murder can yes. be laid at the feet of John Wayne Gacy and Stephen John King. John Wayne Gacy, yeah. Yeah. I mean and the Joker. But I think that's where the Joker comes from. <laughs> I would agree with that as well, yeah. So, speaking of things at the circus going wrong. Um, So, remember how I was talking about how, like, part of the draw and the alert of circuses is that something could go wrong at any time, right? Yes. Like, that's a little bit why people go. Um, Well, sometimes things went very, very wrong. So, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the disaster in Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, this happened on July 6th, 1944. So this is really late into the life of the American circus and probably contributed to its downfall. Sure. Um, so this is like really the height of the American circus. This was, in fact, the Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus. So this is the most famous circus company, the biggest name in circuses there is. Literally the, the greatest show power. on earth. Yes. It is literally the greatest show on earth. Um, so this was also right in the midst of World War II. Um, and so it's a hot day in July and they're in Hartford and it's, you know, people trying to escape their troubles and worries about the world war <laughs> that is happening. Right. And so the circus rolls to town and, you know, everyone wants to go because it's a circus. So they held a special matinee performance in Hartford um, on the Barber Street Fairgrounds, for those of you who know where that is. They were supposed to have arrived the night before and in fact had sold tickets to a show the night before July 6th, but unfortunately they had been delayed and so they they didn't get there in time. And so they offered those people who would have gone that night before tickets to a matinee show. And so it was attended by hundreds of mothers, children, and grandparents. Um, and they, they got there hours before it arrived even though it was a swelteringly hot day, they had, you know, a fair set up on the grounds. And so there there were hot dogs and cotton candy and Delight. rides and sideshows. This is like the, your perfect 
uh, Americana yeah. summer afternoon, basically. And it's, I mean, days after July 4th, this is like the most American scene you can think of. Finally, they were led into the tent while the band played the Star Spangled Banner. They were let into the, the big top, as they called the huge canvas tent. That tent was 19 tons altogether. Holy um, and moly, 19 yeah. tons of canvases and poles a and canvas tent. Ropes. Yeah, this is a huge, like this isn't just your little like pavilion. This is a huge tent that can fit a lot of people under it. It had cost $60,000 in, I assume, 1944 money. Holy um, crap. Yes. Uh, these big tops were a huge, huge deal. This is the height of, you know, circus grandeur. They had weatherproof tents are made from canvas. And so when it rains, you know, canvas is not that weatherproof on its own. So they had coated it with paraffin thinned with gasoline. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Two things that, that burn exceptionally well. Yeah, that's... Uh, I on, a, on a medium, mm. the dry canvas also burns super well. Uh, I know because yeah. I almost once set our living history thing on fire. Uh, <laughs> yes, you did. My bad. <laughs> my bad, people of Grand Haven. Uh, yeah, okay. No. This is um, a recipe for disaster. Yeah, so that's... Yeah, I don't know why they didn't use wax, um, but wax. Well, that's—I mean—that's what paraffin is. Wax is highly oh, yeah, flammable. Yeah. That's true. So I mean, anyway, those—that's what they had. That's what was the option back then. It's not like they had vinyl, right? Like, yeah, yeah. That's important to remember. Is like this. Yeah, that's what they had. So that's yeah. what they did. Um, and okay, so there were bleachers set up under the tent along the sides in wooden chairs in front for uh, patrons with reserved seats. Um, there were three exits along the long north side of the tent, but they were all blocked by chutes for bringing animals into the tent. And then on the south side, there were also three exits, but one was blocked by cables. So if you imagine like a really long, long tent, long, huge tent, and there's really only two exits. Just keep that in mind. Right. Um, so uh, the performance began with Alfred Court's Animal Act. I don't know exactly what animals, but, you know, just imagine circus. Sure. Um, next, the Flying Walendas. Uh, <gasps> were a f yes, yes. The yes, Flying Walendas guys are big famous. They are a yeah, big deal. Yeah, probably the most famous trapeze act in the world. Yeah. Um, so they were there and they were getting ready to take their positions. They were climbing up on their poles. Um, they were famous for their seven person flying pyramid. Yes. Which phew, I would, I mean, yeah, must be amazing. Have you ever seen the pictures? Um, uh, I don't know. Maybe. Put a pin in that. We'll come back to it. <laughs> okay. Do, do, do. So, and then on the stage was Emmett Kelly, uh, who is America's most famous hobo clown. Um, and... I, there's been debate about the word hobo, but I, I'm going to use it because they used yeah. it. It was um, a type of clown act. Uh, this isn't, yeah. you know, we're not addressing this word to be derogatory. It was a type of clown act. It was, that's what yes. it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he was known for keeping a deadpan expression while making everyone in the audience laugh. So he was like, he was, and he was one of the favorites. So this is, I think... You know, part of that tradition of dissonance in clowning in particular, where he was not like a very overtly expressive clown. Like he was just 
he he was kind of like the Buster Keaton of clowns, I think. <laughs> I Just I mean, arguably Buster Keaton face. was the Buster Keaton of clowns, but I know exactly what you mean. Yes. Yes. yes, uh, yes. Also, uh, everybody take a drink every time we say the word dissonance. Finish your first beer, grab a second beer, pause the show, come back. Because uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're going to keep using that word. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So he was performing and there was an on-duty Hartford police officer who was standing near the entrance of the tent and saw a spot of flame, uh, quote, no bigger than a cigarette burn. And Is that what he, actually did somebody start this with a cigarette? Um, I, I will come back to that. Okay. So he saw this and kind of like realized what was going on but it was very small slowly the flame traveled up the canvas wall increasing in size someone in the crowd saw it and yelled fire but it didn't really seem to make much of an impact at the moment most of the audience and performers were still unaware as the walendas were about to start their act uh, suddenly merle evans who was the band leader he saw the fire around the same time as the police man saw it and immediately led the band into a lively rendition of Stars and Stripes Forever, which if you know circuses, um, it was the song that was traditionally used in the circus to uh, warn performers um, and circus employees that something was wrong. So they would never play that song unless there was something wrong happening. Can you imagine having been like a worker there. Maybe you're a concessionaire, somebody who is selling popcorn or individual bags of cotton candy and just having like putting out a smile and welcoming people mm -hmm. and the show's going on, everything's going well, it's a hot day and mm -hmm. you hear that song. Like your blood would run ice cold. Yep. Yep. That's exactly what I was thinking. It's like, and okay, sorry. I thought I, I didn't think I was going to mention that word so many times, but like, again, that song, Stars and Stripes Forever is a very upbeat and like kind of happy song. Yes. And yet the dissonance of that, it, it just represents disaster or like something something wrong happening. And mm -hmm. so it's it was very much this kind of like misdirection thing of like, ah, everyone stay happy, but we're just going to quickly deal with this thing. Like that's, well, there's just something about that. The show must go on. Uh, yeah. If they, if there's a way that they can keep things under control and stop, you know, the thousands mm -hmm. of people who are present from present from panicking, then that's what they have yeah. to do from a responsibility standpoint. Yeah, it's very like I think every kind of performance like thing, like every everyone who's who's done like performing knows that there's just like an element of like crowd control and like communication that this is you know, big in the theater too people have like their ways of communicating that won't alarm the crowd because they need the crowd to like be calm and orderly um, if you've ever read tina fey's book bossy pants she talks about how she goes on a cruise for her honeymoon oh and God. there's some sort of emergency and all she hears over the, the sound before she watches all of these people, all of these actors and, and boat people spring to freakish attention uh -huh. is bravo, bravo, bravo. Yes. Yeah. And like how many bravos was like how big of a disaster this was. Yeah. So again, there's, amazing. you know, bravo <laughs> is supposed to be like a congratulatory, oh, yay, bra bravissimo, well, bravo. But that's also the like um, code. Yes. Like alpha. Yep. Bravo. So like, I mean, yeah, I don't know why Bravo's picked for the B, but like that well, is I like don't, the letter code. Absolutely. And I don't think every um, every band or circus would have used Stars and Stripes forever, but there would have been a code. Uh, yeah. When you work for retail, mm -hmm. uh, different different 
companies, if there's like a suspected shoplifter in an aisle, mm-hmm. um, you know, clean up an aisle six, nothing is actually dirty in aisle six. Uh, they're telling you to go watch a shoplifter for some stores. Mm. Man, I love codes. We should look into that more. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. So anyway, so they start playing Stars and Stripes Forever, which must have just made everyone's blood run cold. Who knew what it meant? And so they did have like buckets of water on hand because this is not probably the first time a a tent has gone up in flames. Like this is... Everybody smoked back then. Everybody smoked. It's just... It's a canvas tent coated in flammable substances. Like this is accidents happened all the time. And so like people knew to be prepared. So um, someone immediately began throwing buckets of water on the fire. Animal trainers tried to hurry the wild animals out of the ring. Animal, wild animals though are wild animals. And so they're not predictable. And unfortunately there were two leopards who were reluctant to leave and they lost valuable time having to turn a water hose on them in order to get them out of the exit like to get them towards the exit chutes. The Wallandas quickly descended from their perch and rushed to safety. And still there was, you know, people in the audience who didn't know what the music meant. And they were, you know, watching people like suddenly start moving very quickly. And they were trying to like piece together what was going on. Um, but eventually they, people started seeing the fire and saw what was happening, but they didn't know like they still didn't really know how much to panic because you know like i said like things happened and you know so people had gotten prepared for it over time and so they they saw the staff like rushing to you know attention and they thought okay maybe you know they have it under control it was the fire itself was still about two feet in diameter so like you know that's not that large of a fire and so they probably just assumed that the buckets of water would take care of it and they're just like okay we'll just sit here but suddenly there was a strong wind that whipped into the tent and <sighs> the fire began climbing to the top of the tent at an alarming speed and that was really when they lost control. So the fire rose on the west end and moved towards the northeast corner, and soon the entire top of the tent was engulfed in flame. Uh, There were burning bits of canvas and liquid paraffin that began raining down on the crowd, and it would inflict- How many kids were in that audience? Uh, I don't know exactly, but this is gonna be a real bummer. Um, So, uh, I'm sorry. Um, so any, like anyone that was hit by these like pieces of burning canvas and paraffin, like would get severe burns. Um, the band at this point gave up on playing music and began to march calmly out of the tent and encouraging the audience to do the same. But unfortunately it was a little too late. The support ropes burned and snapped, causing the tent poles to begin to fall. And this was when the crowd really began to panic. They screamed and ran towards the exits. They crowded around the circus wagons, stumbled over animal chutes, and got caught up in the folding chairs. Children got separated from their parents. Some tossed their children into the arms of those who had made it out already. And finally, the sixth pole fell to the ground. It brought down the entire burning tent down on top of those who hadn't been able to escape. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. full on crying. I know. I'm so sorry. It's so awful. I know. <laughs> it's really terrible. And it's... I this I didn't do the research ahead of time and I should have. No. I, I should have prepared you emotionally for this. <laughs> I um, hate fires. I do. I'm sorry, it's... guys. Oh, I'm gonna think about dicks for a couple minutes and I'll yeah. be back. I'll be fine. 
It's real. It's, I mean, it is really, I'm not really, I'm not going to try to make this better. This was a horrible, horrible, horrible disaster. Um, How many people died? I'll get to that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Sorry, was... everybody. <laughs> God damn, why do we do this? I don't know. Oh, our next podcast is going to be exclusively about dirty jokes. I, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. I'm fine. I'm fine. Okay. Just go. I, it's going to get a little worse before it gets better. I'm sorry. God um, damn it. <laughs> so, yeah, the whole tent like just came down on everyone who was still inside. People outside could hear the screams of those who were under the tent, but they soon fell silent. Because fire this, eats up oxygen and you cannot scream. Yeah. And you die. Um, and so the entire thing from the fr- from the time they first spotted the fire to the time the tent came down was 10 minutes long oh jesus christ so people really didn't have a chance um yeah fire trucks arrived but all they could do was spray water on the charred ruins and there were no fire hydrants on the fairgrounds the nearest ones were 300 yards away which again lost them time but there that was, was life people- in 1944 you know like yeah there's a reason that fire, that that circuses happen in stadiums now. And, mm-hmm. you know, like there's, a re- like, there's a reason that performances have to happen with extinguishers and stuff like that around. Uh, mm-hmm. When I almost burned down our living history event, there was a fire extinguisher right there that I was trying to yep. use. So, yep. Yep. you know, all of our OSHA regulations are written in blood. I'm so glad you said that because I will, <laughs> yep, I will get to that. Um, yeah, so this... Um, so ambulances took victims to nearby hospitals, which... God, they and this must have been is, totally overwhelmed. Well, this is a small silver lining um, because the local hospitals had all been equipping themselves to deal with this scale of a disaster because it was wartime. They were prepared oh, for air raids. So, course. you know, the victims that they were able to recover and get out of there were able to be treated and seen and you know they didn't have to be it wasn't like a triage situation like they were able to help all the people that were able to be helped so thank god for that um so altogether 168 people died half of them were children um it's a lot it's yeah um all of the circus employees survived the Wallendas barely survived. Um, Emmett Kelly, the clown, uh, he rallied performers to help throw buckets of water. Other employees comforted and protected crying children until they could be reunited with the loved one. So it, like all of the circus employees really came together to help um, in any way they could. And people, but when they, they recovered, you know, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I hate that I'm bringing you such pain. It's fine. Normally I do it to myself. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Just, just ignore okay. me. Keep telling your story. All right. Um. So they were able to see when they recovered, you know, the remains, had, they could see how people had acted. Um, some, you know, predictably acted horribly and trying to save themselves they threw chairs at others to clear a route to escape others jumped from the top of the bleachers onto people not knowing or caring how it would hurt them but there were also uh people who were you know seen comforting each other and they were it was 
it was an awful scene. I'm not going to lie. Um, the Connecticut State Armory served as a temporary morgue as families sifted through to identify the remains of loved ones. Um, they they did do a, a... What do you call it? Um, like a tribunal? Like a try and figure well, out what caused the they, fire? Yeah, they tried to figure out what caused the fire. Um, uh, <sighs> why can't I think of the name of what Investigation? people do? Yes! Thank you! <laughs> <laughs> tried to investigate the source of the fire. Um, and they figured out that it probably was thought to be a discarded cigarette that landed in a patch of dry grass um, on, by the edge of the tent because just fucking everyone smoked back then. And yep. they didn't know to not do it inside. Oh, no, of see, no, yes, they did. Tent. Yes, they did, but people didn't fucking care. They were like, oh, I'm responsible enough to put my cigarette out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's fine. I'm a big boy. I can handle it. The government's not going to tell me what to do. Oh, that's weird. And Isn't that familiar. fucking familiar? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I get... Anyway, I don't want this Just to be Just like too act much of a in the best interest of society, everybody. Okay. Yes. All right. I'm fine. <laughs> Everyone be good to each other. Um... Yeah. And, like, I'm not mad at the circus here. Like, it sounds like the circus did the best that they could, given mm -hmm. the parameters that they had. I just, like, ugh. I wish I could undo so many things. It's really tragic. And, like, it was, like, I, yeah, like, like you said, I, I do think, like, everyone who was there working really did everything that they could. Yeah. How could you not? How could you, you know, like, it's like, it would be akin to being at Ground Zero on September 11th. Oh my god, yeah. Everybody yeah. would try and help. You would just yeah. do whatever you could within your power, even if all that was in your power was handing somebody a bottle of water. Like Exactly. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. we like my as heart humans... Just, like, I just think of, like, all of the, like, performers... If you say the word kids... Okay, we have to... Children. We got Yep, uh, cool. Okay, all right, sorry. 80 fucking kids died at this. Well... Like... Yeah. That's like half, two of my high yeah. school graduating classes. It's, oh my God, yeah. Um, <sighs> okay. Anyway. I made so, myself so sad. Okay. No, I'm sorry. I was like, this when is When am I going to, I, I want to develop, I don't know, a thicker skin. Don't, don't do that. Then you'll be dead like me. Um, <laughs> that's not true. I was just crying because I'm watching Victoria and her dog died and it made me cry. Um, the anyway, animal things always get us. Yeah, yeah, they do. Um, so they they did uh, um, figure out that it was probably a cigarette. Um, they brought charges against several circus employees and the Ringling Company. Um, I'm not really sure why. Like, I, I don't... Ringling, I get. Like, it was, like, a huge liability. Um, but, like, at the same time, I don't really blame the employees. So I don't know. But well, I, I mean, there. at the same time, I I think when we have these tragedies, somebody has to be blamed. Someone has to be blamed. Uh, you know, and, like Titanic. Yeah. There's so many things about Titanic that oh my God. went wrong, and, and it some wasn't of those for were legitimately the fault of yeah of like not having enough fucking J. Smith. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. like, okay, so yeah, that's but like, so not having enough lifeboats. That's that's a white star line problem yes. but like and, and the like, white star line was taken to trial for it yes and they changed that um and then like there was a, a thing <laughs> suddenly we're talking about titanic um but it's our <laughs> they safe also place. like this is where we go 
this is back to Titanic. Um, they also didn't have binoculars, but that was like just some random fluke of like they changed staff when they got to Cherbourg and like someone just walked off the ship with the, the binoculars. Like that wasn't yeah. that wasn't anyone like, purposely being malicious or negligent. Like they meant to have binoculars. They just exactly you know. And then like but but the part about ignoring all the the iceberg. <laughs> warnings i'm like oh god okay um right right yeah but there was even mitigating factors in that where it's just okay i don't want to make this about titanic more than it has to be but <laughs> but the, but the same ideas apply that yeah. we're looking for someone you know we've got we're faced with this you know just incredible tragedy mm-hmm. and it is our instinct to find someone to point at and yeah. sometimes there is responsibility to be born i think and there sometimes was, there yeah. isn't I think you know, there was like think... a level of of responsibility, but most of it was just a horrible, horrible tragedy. Um, yeah. But need, like they, the legal claims um, against Wrangling did total nearly four million dollars at the end of the day, which is a lot of money in that time. And the story, of course, captured the attention of the entire nation. It was in the top ten stories reported by the Associated Press that year, and the only one of those stories that wasn't about the war. So this was like big, big news. Yeah. Um, and it was the worst circus disaster in history. I guess, thankfully, like things didn't get worse than that. Um, True. So, you know, yeah. they how many shows did did all of the different circuses? You know, everybody thinks that, you know, like Barnum, Bailey, Ringling are like the mm-hmm. only circuses. And that's simply not oh the case. God. There are a yeah. lot of independent circuses that are still in operation today. Mm-hmm. Um, when Ringling went out of business in 2017, it, not everybody else went out of business. <laughs> but that's I mean, that's how much of a big name Ringling was. Yeah. Uh, so where was I going with that point? Um, it could have been a lot worse, maybe. I guess. Yeah, I it, it could have been a lot worse. And and they learned from this and mm-hmm. made things safer, mm-hmm. as we're always seeking to do. So in Hartford, flags flew at half mast for weeks. Uh, funeral parlors had to hold funerals at 15-minute intervals. And nearly Jesus. every family in Hartford had been affected. Um, and people to this day, like, still, you know, feel the effects of it. I'm sure so many people have a relation that you know, died or knew someone who died. Like, this was a big, big deal in Hartford. And so now um, the site of the disaster has has some stories attached to it. Oh. Yeah. This is a ghost story podcast, after all. I'm not here to (laughs) just break your heart. (laughs) Oh, good. I'm glad that there's another side to this coin. Yeah. And that side is ghosts. (laughs) People have to die to make the ghosts, though, I guess. So... So people have said that they've seen ghosts of the victims at the site. Two years after the disaster, there was a housing development erected nearby. I said the word erected just for you, Kate. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. Take my pain away. You're welcome. And there were several reports that the place was haunted. Residents heard screams, cries, and disembodied weeping. They saw apparitions of people who seemed to be smoldering or on fire. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, One man said that he was unlocking his door one night after returning from shopping when he looked up to see a little boy run past his apartment, leaving a trail of smoke behind him as if his clothing were burning. He logically dropped his groceries and hurried to see if the boy was all right. But when he turned the corner, the boy was gone. The man had recently moved to Hartford and had no idea the fire had happened so nearby. So that would be... Oh, spooky. I can um, only imagine. 
Yeah. Years later, the housing project was torn down and a school was built on the same site. Because that's a great nope, idea. that's a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was plagued by stories of hauntings, and it was widely accepted that the hauntings were from the victims of the fire. There is a memorial to the victims, but people still say that the ghosts remain. So following this disaster, of course, there's kind of like a clamoring for, you know, this to never happen again. And that is kind of the story of all of history is like disaster happens. And then we f try to figure out how to not make it happen again. So smartly uh, cited OSHA, the, what it, I don't know what it stands for, but the like. Occupational Safety and Health Administration. Thank you. Okay. So uh, the person who wrote the article about circuses uh, said, kind of summed it up saying with OSHA laws and mandatory liability insurance, the culture demanded safety in a show whose business was the unsafe. With the sexual revolution and the rise of easy pornography, women in tights on horses ceased to seem transgressive. And with the shrinking of the world, African animals no longer appeared exotic. When the, with the information economy and of the internet, P.T. Barnum's brand of outrageous hoaxes was too easily debunked. With the rise of animal rights activism, the parades of elephants and caged cats were increasingly banned. So I think that really gets to kind of like my criticisms of circuses in general, which is that it is like at its height and, and like its, its highest power, it is inherently unsafe. And not that not to be like boring, like Ooh, everything needs to be sanitized and safe, but like people's lives were on the line every time they performed. And so most of the time it was fine, but the times where it wasn't, it w went wrong the worst way it can go wrong. Right. And so like this disaster just shows you like this was a really kind of risky thing. And that's where the excitement comes from. But it can also be, you know, a huge, huge disaster. And so I guess like I'm the boring person who's like, I don't want people to die. I don't know. I don't think that makes you boring. I think it makes you less of a rube than me. Hmm. I put my trust in the performers to not need the net. I put my hmm. trust in the concessioneers and the people who put this on to keep us safe. And, you know, I think history has proven both of us right. <laughs> Yeah. You know, like that's yeah. and and it's it's in every case too. I mean, like we love musical theater so much, but there have absolutely been deaths on stage that were mm -hmm. accidental, and you know, like yeah. it's broadly and philosophically, we can just be like, ah, oh, death is waiting everywhere. <laughs> right. I mean, we're never going to you know be able to live a life without risk. Um, but like, <laughs> I guess if it's only. just <laughs> you just have to figure out what amount of risk is worth it. Um, right. So. And and how much you're willing to be aware of that risk and still yeah. look, you know, uh -huh. yeah. uh, how, how risky you're willing to live. Yeah. So that's, so you, that's you, what I have. You know, what's not risky. What? Libraries. God, I love a library. <laughs> oh my God. Let's take Unless this Unless you're in to... the library of Alexandria. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now we've made me sad again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right. So, um, as we were preparing for this, uh, again, Ringling is a Wisconsin brand and Ringling was born in Baraboo, Wisconsin, which is very close to the Wisconsin Dells. Um, the Wisconsin Dells are kind of a um, how do I say this? They're 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 a big tourist town. So like the world's largest water park, Noah's Ark, is in Wisconsin Dells, and uh, there's. <laughs> okay. It's cool. It's fun. If you've never been, you should totally go. I live for 
uh, Noah's Ark. Mm -hmm. Um, There's some really great stuff to be enjoyed in that area, uh, but one of them is uh, Circus World which is the kind of ringling and, and circuses generally uh, museum. It's one of the largest, uh, in fact, I believe it is, it is, yeah, it is the world's largest source of American circus history. And uh, I was able to reach out to them uh, and kind of get uh, some of their facts and history. Which is amazing. I just like never think to reach out to people because I just assume that nobody wants to talk to me. <laughs> like, I'm really proud of you. I, I I think part of it is that I knew that they were there. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in Wisconsin and uh, the this sort of stuff is important. So I was able to reach out to Jennifer Kronk, who's the curator of circus history there. Amazing. What a job title. Um, and so we emailed back and forth a little bit and she set up a call between herself, uh, their archivist, Peter Schrake, uh, who mm-hmm. um, the, the archivist at the Robert L. Parkinson Library and Research Center there in Baraboo. And they also involved their director, Scott O'Donnell. <laughs> Oh my god. I know, I was really nervous at first getting them all on the phone. I was like, oh, they're gonna yell at me. They're gonna yeah, be like, like, don't so, ever bother us with this again. So listen, we talk about ghosts. <laughs> it's fine. We swear a lot. Are you we cool? We swear with that? so much. Yeah. And so uh I went into this phone call really nervous, but they were actually the most like generous and just like enthusiastic speakers. I especially enjoyed speaking with Scott O'Donnell, who's had the most fascinating life. Uh he started as a clown, he's been in circuses his whole life. Uh in fact, the uh the circus that they portray in Big Fish which is mm-hmm. one of my favorite movies and books. Uh, it was actually his circus. So like he's been on the set with uh, Tim Burton. Amazing. Also, right? I'm so, so sorry cool. for what we said about clowns. I I don't really <laughs> take it back, but I'm sorry. <laughs> he's absolutely who I had in mind when I was like, no, man, I stay on a clown. <laughs> I, I, I respect his work and I respect him. I just... I, you know, and I think that's because you were able to peel back the paint there and be like, oh, there's a safe person underneath. Yes. Yes, yes. You know, like, and that's, I, I don't think, you know, even I've had this picture in my head now of a person mm-hmm. who is a clown. And I, mean, I think my issue has always been on a conceptual level with clowns. Yes. Like it's not individualized at all. I just have always exactly. wondered why we do this. <laughs> And so I don't think your I don't think your anxieties and and your dislike of clowns or anybody's dislike of clowns is wrong. Yeah. Uh, I just you know I can also appreciate it from the clown's perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so so this is a, a fantastic museum, guys. In a time of museum anxiety, where I mean things are so out of whack, oh this is the first year that Circus World isn't going to have a live circus event since 1959. Sad. So when they're they're very likely probably going to open up. Uh, again and have people able to come to their institution uh, in July. But until then, get up on their Facebook page. Uh, They have a whole Facebook group that just like shares parts of their collection, like from Past Mm. Perfect. And uh, you can look at their historic images and parts of their collection online as well. And I do have more details about that. Okay, but Um, I gotta say, there was was a, a trend going on Twitter with museums to share the creepiest thing they have in their collection. Like this museum has to have like one right like (laughs) well they shared a couple things with me i I asked them you know do you have anything what would you consider the spookiest part of your collection Uh and um uh peter shrake who is their archivist uh referenced um a uh, they have a huge collection of circus posters Mm -hmm. and one of the circus posters features a white-faced clown and he said if you put fangs on it it would be nosferatu no uh, i know just changing the way uh images look from turn of the century 
to now uh-huh. um, and and just sort of that uh, that change in, in what is a popular ideal of, of the clown. Yeah, um, I do think that like, and this is one of my longstanding beefs with the Victorian era is like everything that was produced at that time was terrifying. Like, have you seen the illustrations? Yes. Absolutely. I completely oh agree. I just need to have a talk with the artists from that time to be like, Are, were you trying to give everyone nightmares? <laughs> we'll add that to our list of places to time travel to, to just give yeah. somebody a stern talking to. Yes, exactly. Uh, all right. So um, another one of the artifacts that they were able to share with me, um, it was, and they said very clearly, it's not that this is a scary looking artifact, but it's tinged in history. And they were able to tell me a little bit about um, the Hartford disaster. Uh-huh. You had much more detail. <laughs> well, <laughs> You were describing the, the chairs that were set up for the reserved ticket folks. Mm, yeah. Um, so they have three of those chairs. They're wooden folding chairs. Uh, they have oh a God. bright white star on a navy blue paint. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the picture and you get up close, you can see there are layers of paint that are coming up through the crackling heat. Mm. Uh, so these these chairs uh, were exposed to such heat that the fire exposed the latex beneath. Oh my god. Um, they also have sheet music that was on the bandstand, uh, and that is from the personal collection of Merle Evans. Yeah, he was the band leader. He was the one who led the, the band in the... Stars and Stripes Forever, that terrifying Exactly, exactly. So um, this museum, Circus World, is actually very fortunate to have all of the original music compositions and arrangements and handwritten manuscripts of Merle Evans. Amazing. Um, Yeah, this is a really legit museum. It is part of the Wisconsin Historical Society. This isn't part of, this isn't like a rinky dink. Like this is the real deal. Yeah. Oh, I need to go there now. Yeah, so he was the musical director of Ringling Brothers from 1919 until his retirement in 1970. Uh, Ringling uh, Circus World's collection also includes uh, original circus compositions, arrangements, handwritten manuscripts from circuses going all the way back to the 1890s. How cool is that? That is amazing. Yeah, Circus World. Love it. Um, So they have uh, the Changing of the Guard, uh, which was the song that was about to be put on as they transitioned to this next Flying Walenda act. Um, And if you look at the pages, they're slightly singed. Oh my god. Yeah, because that was like they were about to go on. And so that would have been like right on top. Oh my god. That's so... Is it weird to say it's cool? Like (laughs) I think it's really cool. I think it's cool in that it captures a moment in history that turned yes. out to be a very significant moment. Even though it was a fucking horrible moment. Horrible, horrible disaster. But oh my god, it's so interesting that that still exists. Now, oh, okay. they also did lead me to another link that I am very grateful not to have followed up on yet. Uh, it is an oral history from a person who was present there at the day. Mm. Her name was Katrina Sarecki, Um And her... It's... Um, I will post a link. Uh, they sent me a link to the to the oral history so everybody can listen to it. Uh, it's just a little snippet that they have online at the Circus World Digital Collections. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so they actually talked with me and we had a couple different questions uh, talking about, you know, like what went into uh, disasters like this. And Scott O'Donnell was such a wealth of circus knowledge. We talked about the Stars and Stripes Forever being the signal song, mm-hmm. but there were other songs that were used. And often ah. what it was, was uh, the, it was a signal for the clowns to come out and kind of distract people. Maybe an animal oh. had lost focus or I don't know, an engine for something wasn't working. Uh, Can you use I like, I was, I, I had the same question too. I was like, there's gotta be other songs. And so I was like trying to Google that, like, <laughs> 
circus code language songs and i just it was a see complete, google doesn't know everything you gotta go to the source sometimes end. yeah yeah uh so the other song scott told me about was the 12th street rag uh and that Ooh. was a, a major transition song so if you needed a problem if you know if you needed a problem if you needed no. a problem <laughs> take that out I can uh, if you, you needed a distraction <laughs> or you, you needed to uh to bring people out then there you go Mm. Um, so they have just an enormous, uh, collection and, um, I, I asked them cause again, I was, you know, when you're approaching other professionals, you want to be like, listen, I respect I this. <sighs> I, I think this is great, but also, uh, is your institution haunted <laughs> and you Tell never know what you're going to get. You- okay. But I have learned and I feel yes. like. I'm still like deeply like self-conscious about like broaching this subject, but at the same time, when anyone in the museum field ever like hears about like what we do, uh, they're immediately like, oh my God, I have so many stories for you. And it's, I, I shouldn't be surprised because our, we make a living working with old things and in old, you know, buildings and if anything in the world is haunted, it's the things that we work with as museum professionals. And so you just like have to just lightly scratch the surface before any museum person's like, let me tell you what I have seen. Right. <laughs> and so uh, uh, Circus World is no different. Uh, I asked oh, them, like, bless. listen, you can d- feel free to be anonymous. Like, I will cover your necks here. Uh, they did not <laughs> seem to feel the need for any of that. Good, good, good. Uh, Scott told me three really great stories that I am so honored to share with you. Oh, the rain just kicked up in a big way here. Yeah, it's I, I whatever, it's Foley. Atmosphere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I asked, is your building haunted? Do you, you know, oh. they're, they're in this, uh, it's a historic building in uh, re- relatively close to downtown Baraboo. Um, Can you imagine a haunted circus themed building? Surrounded I, by pictures I, of clowns. Literally every day of my life. So, <laughs> okay. um, so, <laughs> so again, this is this is the Ringling Brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ringling Brothers were actually uh, the sons of an immigrant. They were seven boys. Jesus seven Christ. boys in one family. A lot of Ringling uh, Brothers. They, Right. I had no uh, idea. They, they were born in Iowa, but they moved to Baraboo, Wisconsin, and uh, they started putting on fun circus acts, and they started growing the show. Uh, so these these Ringling brothers, uh, it was actually five of the seven brothers who, uh, who joined together to put this show on, um, and they started moving things all over America, uh, specifically through the Midwest. And the, the way that they moved these circuses was actually really fascinating to me, but I am a dyed-in-the-wool nerd. Uh <laughs> So in, in 1884, um, when they really started getting, uh, they, they formed the Ringling Brothers Circus, it grew to the point where they actually needed 600 different draft horses oh just my to God. pull the show from place to place. And if you are ever blessed enough to go to Circus World, they have many of these br- beautiful, brightly painted wagons that showed off uh, the different circus acts, like the animals in the cages. Hmm. And it was um, back, you know, before they switched to trains, everything was limited by the time and the distance that 600 draft horses could load and move a show. So. Whoa. They were geographically limited. They were limited by popularity of distances. Eventually, they got uh, a rail a rail line. And you reference mm. their mile-long train. That's not a joke. They had <laughs> a mile-long train that they used all the way up until 2017. I asked. I was like, well, wouldn't Amazing. they have been on... 
buses by then, right? Oh, my God. No, it was always by train, a mile long. Um, their tents sat up to 12,000 people. Jesus uh, And they, the train, being on the train meant that they could go nationwide, and there wasn't a single state that didn't get to see a Ringling Brothers uh, show. Oh, my God. That's amazing. In that mile-long train, you had your performers, your concessionaires, your animals, and you had this, um, somebody had to think of the logistics of it. Like, where do you get water? Where do you dump waste? How do you get fuel? I cannot imagine the level of project management required to, like, that's like feeding an army. Exactly. It makes me dizzy to think about. Um, So I just wanted to talk about, again, the ringlings and why it's, I mean, it was just really cool Mm -hmm. and important Mm -hmm. and I really love circuses. So, oh, you're, you probably want to hear some haunted tales though. Yeah, please do. This is what I'm here for. This is why I agreed to this. (laughs) <laughs> again again everybody please uh visit circus world online they're doing daily videos that are super cute uh they did a whole limerick day and i like actually laughed at some of the limericks it was so fun so also uh, support you all go- of your local museums right now please yes if you can find a museum to like and interact with on facebook please do it we have a social responsibility to keep these institutions going so again i asked them like hey you're in you're in this kind of historic space uh do you think your building is haunted god o'donnell jumps right in and he was like yeah there's definitely an active presence uh to those who feel like they're open to it but there's also have been a lot of converts over time people who weren't open to it who got to experience things I want to go there now. So the thing that he experienced personally was a repeated instance. Um, He was, oh, let's see. Gosh, I didn't write down years here. I'm sorry, Scott. Um, But basically there was, um, the the Library and Research Center used to be a brewery. And uh, there was an active... Uh, site the Baraboo Inn and the Baraboo Inn is a very haunted place. Uh, it's been on a lot of travel channel shows like people will have heard of it. And so what was happening, uh, he would regularly get woken up because the police are saying, oh, hey, the alarms are going off at your mm. institution. Classic. Um, yeah, <laughs> that actually happens a lot. Um, yeah. Or, or at least it's museum. one of the more... Yeah, yeah it, it, the, the sirens go off and you have to be like, all right, what's moving around? So what he and the police were discovering is that whenever the same sirens for motion detection went off at the Baraboo Inn, 17 minutes later, uh, uh-huh. they would go off at the Library and Research Center. What? It's almost Ex- as if something was leaving the Baraboo Inn and going to the brewery. Uh, does it take 17 minutes to walk between them? I think it must. Oh my God. So, oh my God. And, and it's not like, again, this is a Wisconsin Historical Society mm-hmm. uh, they museum. Don't they don't have a rinky dink security system that's prone <laughs> to bugs and error. Yeah, Something is happening. Is but if it's consistently 17 minutes later, exactly like, from the same, like that is not, you know, a spider. That is. <laughs> right. It's exactly that. Uh, So he and the police were able to work out uh, that, hey, this is something's happening here. (laughs) He also relayed to me uh, stories from um, their grounds facility director, who is a large six foot man. Yes. Uh, Not easy to unnerve. I love facilities, guys. They're the best. They are. They're the fucking bedrock of museums, honestly. (laughs) Like those in the front desk people. Oh God! Are no, the legs none of, of them an are paid enough, and the security men, the se- yeah. well, people, security people, because there are. I'm, why? Why do I need to be sexist? 
Oh my it's god. Okay. Yes. They all deserve um, a So raise. in the Ringling Barn, they actually had all of the housed equestrian uh all of their horses were there, uh, as well as a performance ring for practicing. Uh, mm-hmm. That's still on the grounds of Circus World today. Uh, the grounds of Circus World also, guys, are pretty expansive. Um, this is not a museum you can see in an hour, so plan for that. So uh, he experienced two different incidents. So first, one that gave me goosebumps when they relayed this story to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, as they're walk- as he was walking through, kind of doing like nighttime checks, shutting everything down, a dark shadowed figure wearing a boater <gasps> fedora, oh! outlined clear as day, <gasps> comes through the wall that oh used to be coming from the tack room. Oh my god, I am like gleeful right now. <laughs> uh-huh. I completely understand. Oh my god. So the second time, uh-huh. uh, there was a puddle in front of a sliding door that when it rained, there would be puddles, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he's getting ready to mop this up, and mm. he sees through the puddle a track of high heel boots. Mm. So like a lady's small, like triangle oh toe and a thick heel, like it would have been oh. in the 1920s, I would imagine. Oh my god, the spooky kind of footprint. Oh. And of course those evaporated pretty quickly. Oh. Um, uh-huh. And then and finally, he was uh, expecting a contractor one day, and mm-hmm. he was out, you know, working, and he heard the front door bang open, and he shouted out from, from another part of the building, hey, are you here? Uh-huh. And somebody responded, oh, yeah, 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 I'm here. Uh-huh. Not too much later, he gets a call on his cell phone. Oh, no. It's the contractor uh-huh. he thought was in the building saying, hey, I'm running an hour late, can you come let me in? Fuck! No! Who responded, Jen? No! <laughs> Who is there? Oh, my God. This is the one I want to end on. Uh, This is, I think, a very beautiful ghost story. And Mm -hmm. it's exactly, I think it's the right note to end on. So do you have anything else to say? No. Other than I am delighted by this whole episode. I knew you would be. (laughs) I'm so sorry I doubted you. Thank you. So on the grounds, they have a wagon restoration center uh, and they, like I said, they've maintained a live circus there since 1959. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's the Wagon Restoration Center now. It used to be like a, a circus space back in the day. And there was a very famous woman. She was a Polish tiger trainer. And during the middle, middle while she was on the grounds, there was a bad thunderstorm, big lightning. Kind of like right now? There was a huge of lightning. And then she said, everything stood still in this bright light of the flash. Uh And in the light of the flash, she could see all sorts of shadows going in and out, outlines of people who were, you know, milling about, setting up tents. um, And they were all in period dressed. When the lightning crashed again and the light went away, they were gone. Oh, my God. Isn't that the most beautiful thing you've ever heard? And also, do you have goosebumps? Because I have goosebumps. Oh, my God. Yeah. So ladies and gentlemen, please do everything you can to support our friends at Circus World. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm deadly serious. I joined their Facebook group. I've been interacting with their posts online because they're fun. It's yeah. just a good time. Uh, so show your support. Check out their online digital collection. We will have links to that so you can see some of the artifacts that we were talking about today. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad we discussed this, even though it broke my heart a little bit. Yeah. I, oh man, what? This is, I guess, mm, why was I surprised? But this, there's just so much, so much going on. I'm going to ride high on my smugness all day because I really have been pushing for this one for four years. So I'm really (laughs) glad we finally got it. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was amazing. This might be the new episode that I recommended that people listen to. Yeah. Christ. That was so amazing. I, like, we have to just end it there. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> because I can't. Oh my gosh, I I need to just like recover from this. It's yeah. Not to, I feel like now we're like very much tooting our own horn, but like, I don't like, it's the content. It's not. I was really happy with this one too. Uh, It made me happy to speak with other museum professionals and to also feel something. So I hope everybody enjoyed this as much as we enjoyed making it. Uh, I am very excited for our next episode. Yes. The last episode of the season four. Yes. My friends, uh, you are in for a treat. Uh, We are speaking with a BBC expert. We will have more Uh details for you, but I want you to get hot, get hyped. Uh, Our our penultimate, this this was our penultimate episode. Our ultimate final episode of the season is going to be fantastic uh, Mm -hmm. with Dr. Jillian Kenny, and I am so excited about it. So I, as always, am amazed at your ability to talk to people and (laughs) convince them to talk to us. I am so nervous to talk to people. So, like, I literally could not do the show without you. Uh, So, Jen, I wouldn't be doing a podcast without you. Thank Uh, you for this. Is very much your baby. Thank Uh, you. Thank you for bullying me into doing this. Oh, my God. Um, We have one new patron to thank. Uh, Thank you so much to Robin uh, for supporting us on Patreon. If you want to see what we're up to on Patreon, you can find us at patreon.com slash this podcast is haunted. We'll be putting up monthly videos throughout our hiatus. So don't worry, we're not going to abandon you. And we were just talking about some plans for that. I think it's going to be fun. And if you want to find us on social media, you can find our stuff in the description. You can find our Facebook discussion group. It is this podcast is haunted discussion group the happiest corner of the internet yeah so that is we'll see you guys in a fortnight that'll do it yeah in the meantime stay spooky motherfuckers